Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. Later in the show, we discuss the Astros' fight to get into the playoffs. But joining us now to preview the Texans-Steelers game Sunday is Mark Bergen, the host of the Believe in Steelers podcast, part of the Believe Network. Thanks for giving us a few minutes, Mark. Fellas, thank you so much for having me. Excited to talk some week four football going against a rookie quarterback. I can't wait. Yeah, we can't wait either. It's uh, all of a sudden got a little fun here in Houston, but I just want to get your feeling. What is your general feeling about the Steelers to start the season, Mark? Is it what you expected? Sort of, but it's been varying levels of degrees. First two weeks, the offense looks absolutely terrible because you say, Mark, Steelers were one and one going into week three, but the offense was terrible. Only seven points in the opener against the 49ers. The offense only scored 12 in the Monday night matchup in a win against the Cleveland Browns. And you win thanks to the heroics of Alex Highsmith off the edge. But week three, it did look a lot better in back-to-back primetime games on Sunday night football. And the Steelers offense was better. Uh, We can talk about some of the reasons why the competition wasn't as stiff in week three as it was in the first two weeks of the season for Pittsburgh. Uh, A lot of people have been calling for Matt Canada's job, the Steelers' offensive coordinator. He factors into that mix as well. But you're sitting at at two and one. You're top of the AFC North division. You have an opportunity where you go on the road and you're favored in week three against a rookie quarterback. You've got to take care of business, go three and one, because week five, Steelers have the Ravens, division rival. It's pretty much a coin flip game because – those two, when those two teams play, it seems to go down to the final play every single time. Mark, you were talking about uh, the struggling Steelers offense. I'm curious uh, what you think of this. I've noticed going back over and, and watching the Steelers, first three games, they've slowly but steadily increased what they do in terms of play action on, on offense. Um, what can you tell us about that and maybe the challenges that you think that would pose to a Uh, seemingly young uh, Texans linebacker core. Yeah, so Kenny Pickett, it's no secret, is better out of play action than he is doing other facets of quarterbacking. But you kind of have to have a running game to establish your play action. But he goes six of eight in the Sunday night game against the Raiders, and he had a touchdown pass to Pat Fryermuth, the tight end. And in the Monday night game, if you just look at the box score, Fryermuth is a weapon on this offense who's demonstrated the ability in his young career to win combat catches, one-on-one where he's up against another defender. When the Steelers only targeted him once in the Monday night game in week two against the Browns, it's like, what are you doing and what is your strategy? Because a good coach will put his player in, in, in positions to succeed and you play to the strengths that you have on offense. Deontay Johnson's been nursing a hamstring injury, so he's been out. We know what George Pickens can do. Allen Robinson, a veteran receiver, but what are your strengths? And it's the depth at the tight end position, Pat Fryermuth, chiefly in the receiving game. And so he's the beneficiary of that. And so getting Kenny Pickett more and more play actions, the Steelers went into week three, dead last in the NFL in play action passes. And they, he at least gets Pickett gets eight attempts there. I want to see more of that. I want to see them use more 12 personnel with the two tight end sets with Fryermuth 
rookie Darnell Washington out of Georgia. They'll serve as extra offensive linemen if you want to try to guard them with DBs and take away the passing game. If you want to put linebackers on them, they'll eat you alive in the passing game in a one-on-one matchup in coverage. So that's what I want to see more from Matt Canada, not all of these jet sweeps or a lot of the predictability to where going into this game too, it's like, all right, the Steelers line up and shotgun, they're going to pass the ball. If Kenny Pickett's under center, they're going to run the ball. That's been the frustration because if we're picking that up, watching the game on television, it's fans across America. What do you think an opposing head coach, defensive coordinator, scout is going to think when they've, they've scouted this team a week in advance of the game. The predictability, it's just been its been ridiculous, if I'm being honest with you, to say you're an offensive coordinator and this is what your game plan is offensively. It did look better in week three against the Raiders, but there needs to be a progression and fast if the Steelers want to have success this season. Texans have a rookie this year at quarterback. You guys had one last year. Kenny Pickett needs only three more touchdowns to equal his TD total from last year, which was in 12 starts. Are you seeing progress from him this rookie season since his rookie season? And is there hope for him? Yeah. And I thought there was progress on the back half of last season because he gets inserted in week four against the jets where Trubisky just didn't cut it. And so four games in a year ago, the Steelers say the rookie is going to give us a better chance. And the Steelers, as everyone knows at this point went seven and two on the back half of the 2022 season. Well, Your competition wasn't as stiff. Your running game was better. But that's got to be the baseline for this season. And when in weeks one and two, you have a putrid offense, like honestly, I don't think it could have been much worse. You scratch your head and said, you know, I thought those days were behind us as Steelers fans. So it it has looked better at times. I kind of look at the seasons in quarters If they can take care of business against the Texans, that's a good place to be through four games of the season. Yeah, you'd like it to look better against the 49ers, but I think we can all agree the 49ers are, what, a top three team? And and you look at the Browns in week two, very much improved defense with defense coordinator Jim Schwartz coming over, taking over um, there in Cleveland. So, It hasn't been as much of a progression as maybe some people would like, but I have seen progression. And that comes from playing a lot of football collegiately when he was at Pitt, uh, still playing at what's now Acrisure Stadium, used to be Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. But the stat people always go to with Matt Canada is that since he took over as the offensive coordinator in the 2021 season, The Steelers don't have a 400-yard game on offense. Every other team in the league has at least three. So the offense does need to be better, but it's like, do you want to point to uh, Pickett in his play at the quarterback position? Do you want to point to Canada and the play calling and what he's asking the players to do? Offensively, uh, the line hasn't been good, and that's why you revamp the line. You bring in Isaac Sayamalu in the offseason. You draft Broderick Jones with your first-round pick. There has to be accountability all the way across the board with the Steelers offense because no one's absolved. I think it's headed, heading in the right direction, but against the stiff competition in the NFL, it hasn't looked great. The Steelers can take care of business against the teams that they're supposed to beat, but then in the games where they're underdogs, they just don't stack up right now with the NFL's elite. Man, Mark, you hit on a lot there, but you said one thing that sticks out and I know resonates with the Texans when you talk about offensive line. They've been through it, man. 
Um, today in practice, uh, we noticed that not only was Laramie Tunsil not there, Josh Jones, uh, who's been filling in and who was acquired for a fifth-round pick uh, from the Cardinals earlier this season, um, was not there as well. Their sixth-round pick uh, is slated to possibly start at left tackle. And I have to imagine, knowing that, T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, those dudes have got to be just licking their chops right now. I'm interested to know from you, uh, what could we as Texan fans – uh, people that just haven't seen the Steelers play a lot of football yet this season. What can we expect to see from Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt in terms of how they're used defensively in some areas that you think um, they could exploit the Texans? Great question. So Watt will always be lined up against an opposing team's right tackle. He doesn't necessarily always rush the passer on every single play because he's technically an outside linebacker. More plays than not, he will rush the passer. But the reason the Steelers do that is, think about it, most quarterbacks in the NFL are right-handed. I also think there's something to the Steelers in saying, if T.J. Watt's such a dynamic edge rusher, most of the quarterbacks are right-handed, and your best offensive lineman tends to be your left tackle to protect the quarterback's blind side. Well, if Watt can get in the face of, of an opposing quarterback and he's demonstrated the ability to create turnovers, whether it's forcing fumbles or getting interceptions at the line of scrimmage, there's a reason why he's among the NFL's best defensive players, not just bed, as best edge rushers, but best defensive players. Now, with the attention that he garners going up against opposing teams, right tackles where you've got to keep a tight end or a running back to chip, that creates other one-on-one matchups. And there's a reason why Alex Highsmith has stepped up and he got a big contract before the start of this season because he can beat left tackles off the edge. Oh, by the way, we've got Marcus Golden as a reserve, a guy who's had three double-digit sack seasons in his career. Nick Herbig looked really good, too, in the preseason. So the Steelers finally had depth at that position. But with Watt, he creates the one-on-one matchups off the edge and then It's Alex Highsmith where he's coming off a year. We had 14 and a half sacks. He's got a silky spin move off the edge that you have to account for as well. But he's really the Jenga piece in TJ Watt because we see what this defense is with him on the field, and it totally changes how the Steelers can play defensively versus when he was out last season with the pectoral injury and he had had his knee scoped as well the Steelers defense wasn't nearly as formidable. So he's really the key. And regardless of what you try to do to try to block him, he still finds a way to consistently make plays. And uh, I'll tell you what, too, it's going to be really cool this weekend because I know the Texans are honoring J.J. Watt into their ring of honor. It's going to be cool to see a Watt brothers family reunion. I personally wanted to see J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt line up together for Pittsburgh. And it's like, hey, let's race to the quarterback. But if the consolation prize is T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith of, hey, who can get there first? I'll see you at the quarterback. Something I love to see week in and week out. Now you guys could have done worse, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Something's got to give this week, Mark, because the Texans are fifth in the NFL in rushing yards per game. I mean, fifth from last in the, in the NFL in rushing yards per game. The Steelers are the second worst rushing defense. What's going on with you? We know it's our offensive line. What's going on with you guys on the other side of the ball? So the Steelers needed to 
re-fortify the interior. They run a 3-4 defense, and so gone are Miles Jack and Devin Bush. You bring in Cole Holcomb, Alandon Roberts, and Quan Alexander to get into the mix there. Brian Flores is now also, he was your linebackers coach a year ago. He's now the defensive coordinator over for the Minnesota Vikings as well. So we saw this in 2021, and I don't know if this has ever happened in NFL history, where the Steelers led the NFL in sacks in 2021, but ranked dead last in the league in rushing yards allowed. I personally think some of that is a result of look at the teams in your division. You've got to start Lamar Jackson and company and know what the Ravens can do running the ball on the ground when they've got it going. And then Nick Chubb, when he's healthy, is as good of a running back as there is in the NFL. So I think some of those stats can be inflated as a result of the teams that you have to play twice a year. But that's been kind of the bend but don't break facet of this defense where the interior hasn't been quite as stout. I will say this, in Cameron Hayward's absence, because he's been out with a groin injury, I do really like what I've seen from some of the younger guys. DeMarvin Leal, a second-year player out of Texas A&M, and then Keanu Benton, a rookie out of Wisconsin. I think they've done a good job so far filling in for Cam Hayward, but you know that's really been, okay, if you want to neutralize T.J. Watt and what he can do off the edge, if you can establish the middle on offense at the line of scrimmage, and then more importantly, keep the defense on the field as well. This is where the offense hasn't helped the Steelers defense in playing complimentary football. And you say, well, what happened in week three when the Steelers won and at one point had a two-score game? Steelers won time of possession. They outrushed the Raiders. They had 105 rushing yards. The Raiders with Josh Jacobs, the NFL's leading rusher in the 2022 season. They held the Raiders to 69 yards rushing on Sunday night. So they win that battle. And sometimes your offense can serve as your defense in where time of possession becomes a factor. A lot of times that doesn't happen early on in a season, but when a lot of these players have more wear and tear on their bodies, say come November, December, and January, that mileage accumulates after a while. So that's been kind of the secret with the Steelers is keep the defense out on the field for long periods. And if you can not turn over the football, easier said than done against this Steelers defense, that's been kind of the recipe because Steelers offense hasn't held up its end of the bargain through three weeks. Again, it was better in week three, but the first two weeks, you're not going to win many football games if you play offensively how the Steelers did in week one and week two. Mark, you know, something I know a lot of people are going to be looking at uh, this weekend as well is what C.J. Stroud and these receivers, along with their offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, can continue to dial up. We've seen a constant progression in terms of what the Texans can do offensively. Uh, interested to know your thoughts on maybe what to expect from the Steelers' secondary as Stroud has shown the propensity to just be able to get the ball out so quick. The quick pass game has been maybe the most impressive thing about Bobby Slowick and what he's done in utilizing these receivers that nobody knew about <laughs> and they've looked pretty darn good so far. So give us, give us kind of your, your vantage point of the, the, the Steelers secondary and what to expect, how they match up with Stroud and these receivers. Yeah. And what I've been most impressed with Sean is Stroud's ability not to turn the ball over. I don't think he has an interception yet through three games, which is extremely impressive as a rookie. And that's going to be key in this weekend's matchup against Pittsburgh, Mink is the guy that you have the game plan for. You have to know where he's at at all times. An absolute ball hawk when he's back there and you're causing pressure up front and it's, oh my gosh, I got to get rid of it because of the pressure created by Watt and company up front. And so 
Mink has been the guy where you have to know where he is at all times because he's a ball hawk. You you bring in Patrick Peterson, a veteran, where he's coming off year where he had six interceptions for the Vikings. He played a lot of zone coverage in Minnesota. And then Levi Wallace opposite him. I'll be honest with you. Levi Wallace had a very rough two first two weeks of the season. Uh, last week, he gets two interception, I, interceptions. I really thought he redeemed himself. Uh, a lot of people were upset because in that Monday night game against the Browns, Jerome Ford, who was filling in for Chubb, had a long, long run where he reverses field. And uh, Levi Wallace is the backside defender. Just, you know, there's an old slogan, you lose contain, you lose the game. I also thought Amari Cooper got the better of Levi Wallace in week two, but he redeemed himself as a veteran player. Joey Porter Jr. is the guy for the Steelers secondary, the rookie out of Penn State, who's getting more and more snaps each week. He's getting more and more comfortable each week. And we know what his lineage is with this team, considering his dad was an excellent player off the edge for Pittsburgh for years. He's the guy I'm watching right now in the secondary as he gets more and more comfortable to where it's like between Wallace and Peterson, they're going to get fewer and fewer snaps as he gets better and better and more acclimated into this Steelers defense. You don't want to put too much too soon on a rookie. Uh, I kind of liken it. You go from right from the frying pan right into the fire as a rookie. But uh, I like what I've seen from him so far. And when he was tested uh, in the Monday night game in week two, he was the guy who was targeted, and he held up in coverage. There wasn't a pass interference call. And what that can do for a young player's confidence, uh, I can't wait to see what he can do. And again, especially considering he's got the black and gold lineage with his dad, too. Uh, it was cool in the preseason, his very first game as a Steeler. He got an interception. And it, his first preseason game, uh, he missed the first one, was played at home, and he gave the ball to his dad. So that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Pittsburgh guy, uh Penn State as well, too. So there's the Pennsylvania connection. Um, he kind of rounds out the Steelers' secondary. But um, it was a secondary that wasn't good enough last year either. And that was the way that you could pick the Steelers' team apart. Go back and pop on the tape from 2022 when the Steelers played Buffalo and specifically the Philadelphia Eagles and what A.J. Brown did to the Steelers last year. It's the reason why you have to go out and bring in Patrick Peterson. It's the reason why you have to go out and draft Joey Porter Jr. in the 2023 draft. Hey, Mark, before I get your predictions for this one, got to tell you that my first memories as a kid was the Love You Blue Oilers right here, baby, uh, against that steel curtain. And I was seven and eight years old when they met up in back-to-back -back AFC title games, which were, by the way, the last two NFL conference titles ga title games Houston has experienced. Back then, the Oilers were also in the same division with the Steelers. So it was a hell of a rivalry for those that are younger than a zillion years old, like I am and don't remember this, but over 20 years ago, when I was working for the CBS in Memphis as a sports videographer, my reporter and I had a chance to meet Lynn Swan at a function. And after a couple of quick questions for our station, me and my reporter dropped the microphone and the camera and my reporter was also a Houstonian. So he tried to get Swan to admit Mike Renfro made the touchdown catch in the 79 title game. But we could not get him to do it, Mark. We couldn't get him to do it. I love it. I love the old school. I absolutely love that. This is like the, even before Earl Campbell, because at first I'm like, how, how old are we talking with? Like the Warren Moon era. And it's even before that. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it it dates back. There's a Houston and Pittsburgh hatred like, uh, you know, know, no other really. In the more new school, too, the last time these two teams played in Houston, you had when DeAndre Hopkins is doing butterflies in the end zone and Vince Williams joins him alongside of him late in that game after a touchdown. If we could recreate that moment, I think we'd have real magic this weekend. Ooh, man, yeah. That, that was a great fun. catch, too, that he made in the touchdown, Absolutely. if I remember correctly. And, Absolutely. And also, you know, it, 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 there wasn't – there was hatred, but there was also, like, real respect. I mean, Bum Phillips would talk about those Steelers teams, and, you know, he, he would talk about the respect that he had for those guys. But, yeah, back in the day, it was something special when the Oilers and the Steelers – met and and they were the one team that was the kryptonite for Earl Campbell. Uh let's get to the the predictions and the Steelers are a three point favorite. How do you see this one playing out on Sunday? I'm gonna have the Steelers cover and win on the road. And I know you guys won't want to hear this with your audience, but I'll take the Steelers twenty four to twenty against a rookie quarterback and especially if the the Texans have injuries along the offensive line. I think that's going to go a long way because it's tough enough to block this defensive front in the passing game, even if you're fully healthy, let alone if you, if you have injuries. And look, this is going to be the first time Kendrick Green's gone against his former team. I can't wait to see that matchup of, is this a matchup the Steelers exploit? Is it something where he's vengeful and he wants revenge against his former team? How that shakes out too. They always say it's a line of scrimmage game, but I am going to take the Steelers on the road to improve to three and one against a rookie quarterback who I will admit has looked very, very impressive. And and one other thing too, we haven't talked at all yet about Will Anderson off the edge and people might just say the stat sheet of, oh, one sack, his win rate off the edge and his ability to beat double teams already as a rookie, he's getting double teamed a bunch. I think there's only two other edge rushers who have been double teamed more than him, and he's still impacting games early. He's a player where maybe it's not this season, but a year or two from now, when we're talking about best edge rushers in the league, we're not just talking about TJ Watt. We're talking about Will Anderson, too, off the edge for Houston. And I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, that'd be something. Hey, uh, remind us about your podcast. I know uh, that you do it with Ike Taylor, former Pittsburgh Steeler and and remind people how to connect with you guys on social media as well. Absolutely. You can find us, uh, Mark Bergen, Ike Taylor, hosts of the Believe in Steelers show. That's B-L-E-A-V in Steelers. Wherever you listen to your podcast, so Apple, Spotify, whichever platform's easiest for you. And then the easiest way to find us, though, is you if you just look us up on YouTube, Ike Taylor on YouTube, Mark Bergen on YouTube, our Steelers content will pop up there. A lot of exciting stuff have a few uh, cross podcasts and then we've got an exciting guest lined up for Friday morning to preview this game as well. So check us out there, Mark Bergen on YouTube as well. And fellas, thank you for the opportunity to come on your program. Great stuff, Mark. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for the black and gold. Great stuff. And as a uh, black and gold MIZ guy, it's good to talk to you for sure. Thanks so much for giving us a little of your time, Mark. Z-O-U. Robert, good to see you. Sean, nice to meet you as well. Fellas, take care. Yes, sir. All right, great stuff from Mark, Sean, and Petrie. Jalen Petrie looks ready, so the starting safeties are going to finally play together this week. I, I don't know um, you know, how uh, 
how that's going to look because, you know, it was a small sample size that we got a chance to see from them in the preseason. But, you know, for us that, you know, are there every single day, saw it quite a bit in training camp. Look, this was when obviously Stingley was healthy and doing his thing. Stingley, Ward, Petrie, those guys, Steven Nelson too had a tremendous camp and is having a really good start to his season. Those guys are flying around all over the place. That secondary is legit. Just knock on wood. Hopefully the Texans, you know, can kind of escape further injury back there. But the fact that you're getting Ward and Petrie together on the field with Nelson on one side, Shaq Griffin on the other side, presumably you could do worse in terms of a secondary. Shaq Griffin was probably the most intimidating, hard-hitting, fundamental tackler that the Texans had last week. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting to see those guys operate back there. Is it Austin Nakuas if Josh Jones can't go? You know, we didn't get a chance to see first team offense or anything, but the routine by the Texans and CJ Stroud, particularly every day in practice, after they break off from stretching, uh, CJ takes one rep with usually turns out to be the starting offensive line for that upcoming week's game. Today, it was Deculus at left tackle. I really wouldn't expect to see any change there because I thought Mark made a great, great point about TJ Watt and the way the Steelers like to use him. Doesn't mean it's going to be that way this week, but you kind of don't fix it if it ain't broke type of situation with them defensively, I would think, since TJ likes to line, line, line up on the right side, on the right tackle, his left side. I don't know why you'd want to put the guy over there that you're most worried about in terms of protecting C.J. Stroud. George Fant has done a pretty serviceable job, and he's used to playing next to Shaq Mason. They've been doing it since really day one, Titus Howard going down with his hand injury. So the question becomes whether or not Austin Deculus can have a good week of practice at left tackle and whether or not uh, the new guy that they brought in his name escapes me right now. They just signed him a couple of days ago. How quickly he could get caught up. I mean, he's there for a reason to serve as a backup at the very least, I would imagine. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, tomorrow should be a pretty good telltale sign. However, Texans deked everybody this past week in Jacksonville uh, when they had Michael Dieter on that first string offensive line and warm-ups playing left guard and then it turned out to be Kendrick Green again so <laughs> you never really know but if you see two days in a row of Austin Deculus and I think Thursdays we typically see a little bit more of the offense working than any other day uh, we should get a pretty good idea any sign of panic among Texans media about Laramie Tunsil's knee at this point you know, lasting yet another week here. No, uh, panic, panic amongst the media. No panic amongst the team. Certainly not. I think once D'Amico Ryan's clarified that it was knee and not knees last week, I thought a little bit of that concern went away, but you know, the more and more I started to kind of think back and what I observed from Laramie Tunsil, he wasn't moving good. Okay, he was limited, even in the locker room. The guy, was he looked like a freaking 70-year-old dude, you know, walking around. Now, Laramie, we know this from, you know, kind of his persona, <laughs> right? He's a very chill, kind of a go-with-the-flow, take-it-easy kind of a guy. So it's not like he's a fast walker or sprinting everywhere to begin with. But, you know, it's a knee, so you look at a little closer, and he just didn't look like he was feeling great last week so I wasn't surprised that he'd missed uh, the Jacksonville game didn't see him at all today at practice we'll see what we see tomorrow D'Amico Ryans was asked about it today in terms of 
his progression, rehab, prospect of him playing on Sunday. And it was the same response that we'd got last Wednesday from D'Amico in terms of like, eh, you know, we'll see how it goes for him. So not exactly like a ringing endorsement, which I thought should have been a pretty telltale sign last week. You didn't get a ringing endorsement from D'Amico Ryan's. If you stack them up side by side, what he was saying about Jalen Petrie sounded a whole hell of a lot different coming out of his mouth when he was talking about Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, Patrick Storm said that he's not playing. He, he basically said that he's hearing that he's not going to be able to play against Pittsburgh. Possibly. And look, I haven't heard that. Not saying that that's not the case, but I also heard the same thing about Josh Jones, that he's just flat out not going to play left tackle either. So it's Austin Deculus or the new guy. Uh, and Deculus lined up with the first team uh, offensive line this morning, for albeit just that one rep that uh, we were able to see. But again, tomorrow's going give, to give us a pretty solid indication on what to expect going into Friday's last practice before the final injury report comes out for the week. And then you'll kind of go from there. I have to say, it's always a dangerous situation when you're going up against pass rushers like TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, right? But this would be the third offensive line in the third left tackle that the Texans have trotted out there through just the first four weeks of the NFL season. And to see the job that they did against the Jaguars last week, that was pretty damn impressive. You knew Josh Allen was going to be coming for your butt if you were C.J. Stroud. He only touched them three times, three quarterback hits, no sacks. Just incredible the turnaround that this offensive line had in just one week's time, but it was the continuity. Right. That was the first time all season and hell, maybe the first time in a long time that you'd had the same offensive line go out there with a dude that you knew could play quarterback. OK, the, the thing is going to be to see on Sunday just how the Steelers decide to attack this line and Stroud in this quick pass game. If they throw some different exotic looks and try to throw a wrench in and make CJ hiccup a little bit, I feel like Slowick has done an incredible job with the route concepts to this point and the good run pass balanced just of calling the game to just throw the defense off a hair that millisecond matters so i want to see how that looks on sunday regardless of who's at left tackle i'm going to come back to the o-line in just a sec but your 610 colleague sean pendergast you made a great point i thought D'Amico, sean is facing his third super bowl champion head coach in four weeks, and the fourth head coach, Shane Steichen, had just won a Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator. So pretty remarkable way to start the season for D'Amico. Yeah, I knew Sean had that in his bag. <laughs> you know, uh, I'd heard him mention something like that before the season had started. You know, because you're finding – you're trying to find different ways you can kind of attack and break down every team, every opponent, uh, the story within the story, if you will. And so I'd actually heard him mention that it might have been to me directly before. And it's it's one of those things. Boy, it, it sounds like a hell of a, uh, you know, tough hill to climb. And it is. I, and I almost think we maybe take D'Amico for granted a little bit too much in the sense that, hey, you know, he had a decade as a player. And after just taking a year off, he jumped right into the 49ers organization and became – a uh, defensive analyst, and then a linebacker coach, and then a very successful coordinator, obviously. 
And so it's like, yeah, you know, who cares who he's facing as a head coach? It doesn't matter. It clearly matters. I mean, we're talking about and watching it play out before our very eyes, the progression of a rookie head coach, just like we're watching it play out with a rookie quarterback and a rookie uh, edge rusher and Will Anderson, so on and so forth. And so it does matter because it's one thing to be able to get your guys to play the way that you want them to play. But when you're also running the defense, it comes down to in-game management and making the right calls, putting them constantly, consistently in the right position to make plays. That's really the test for D'Amico week in and week out because he's got a lot of NFL experience. Guys that have been in the league, maybe not in their particular roles that they're in this season, but he's got a lot of experience, 20-plus years for a guy like Matt Burke, so on and so forth. The game-managing thing, I don't necessarily worry too much about, but it's about having that on your plate and defensively being able to consistently make the right calls when you're going up against seasoned head coaches that, you know, know the little intricacies and know just certain things to do, certain looks to give you, and just kind of make you, you know, freak out a little bit. Those are the kinds of things that I think D'Amico is yet to really experience on a game-in and game-out level. And so it's always going to be fun to kind of see how he adapts, how he handles that every week. Haven't had a whole lot of positives with the Texans last few years. So let's have fun. Let's do some positive Texan stuff. And how good has CJ Stroud been on third down after three games? This number I saw up on social media, and it's amazing. He's first in touchdowns to interceptions, his ratio. He's first in yards, completions, passing TDs, big pass plays. So this is all third down stuff. He's second in completion percentage and passer rating on third down. And Sean, here's some more positives. Tank Dell, number one in the NFL in passer rating when targeted, according to pro football focus. Uh, I don't even understand that, but hey, it sounds good to me. Uh, Blake Cashman was the highest graded linebacker by pro football focus this week at 91.4. And three of the Texan offensive linemen have graded out very good for the season. And I'm saying for the season, I know we're only three games in, but George Fant, 71.4, Shaq Mason, 66.9, and Jared Patterson, 60.7. It's all pretty good. Fant's great. And then, Sean, I got a little prediction. I, I'm now convinced Juice Scruggs is going to start at left guard in a week and a half, and Patterson's going to stay at center. I could see that. In fact, I think that quite possibly could have been the plan yeah. from day one to have Scruggs at guard and Questenberry at center. And Questenberry goes down, Scruggs has to move over, you know, the whole bit. It happened <laughs> all yeah. within about the last seven weeks. <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't think that's a silly notion at all. I, I, I could totally get behind that. With the linchpin here and all this is you need your left tackle back. Uh, you need Laramie Tunsil back. And hell, if it takes, you know, another week, maybe two weeks, Start asking yourself, well, why the hell didn't you put him on IR? But hopefully he's back within the next couple of weeks. I'll just say that in terms of like, hopefully that's the worst worst case scenario when you have him for the bulk of the season. That to me is, is the linchpin here when you're talking about going forward because you don't want to spin through your depth before you even get to your own bye week. And with the rate that the Texans are going right now, they're going to do that. They're pretty damn close. There's only so many other dudes you can go out and bring in and catch up right away. 
Uh, and I don't want to have to continue to do that with CJ Stroud back there, but a lot of good stuff you put out there. Um, in terms of, you know, the success that they've had on third down, CJ Stroud in particular, I think it goes back to what I'd said to our guest, man. It's that, you know, people are not going to give Bobby Slowick credit until there is a week in and week out type of performance in which, you know, you can just see it right against stiffer competition, you know, historically great franchises like the Steelers. They're not playing great football right now, but they're playing pretty damn good football, right? Playing winning football. That's just what they've done. They've found a way. Maybe that's the difference of having, you know, a veteran head coach, but I got to give Bobby Slowick credit for taking a, receiver group that was you know crapped on and, and talked about in terms of the very worst in the entire league coming in despite tank dell being there and despite robert woods being there there's question marks and doubt and unproven and unknowns about all of these guys but i think it's really just the offense and it's the relationship between the two slowick and a quarterback your offensive coordinator and your quarterback you can have two pretty good ones, but if they ain't on the same page, it's really hard to see the progress this early. And the fact that C.J. Stroud is just able to be that sponge, go out and just produce and just do it, be coachable. You hear it all the time, and I think it's become cliche, and you know we take it for granted, but the dude doesn't make the same mistake twice. You hear the coaches say that. There's something to that, man. That just tells you, when you talk about like, all these tests that the quarterbacks take, okay, to hell with it. You might not be like a great thinker in terms of a paper test or some stuff on a screen. Can you identify a defense throughout the course of a week, understand a game plan, and then understand the game within the game? How can you exploit that? And I think that's what C.J. Stroud, Bobby Slowick have done so, so well uh, to this point. And you're seeing the receivers shine. Not maybe because they're great receivers, but he might be great receivers in this offense. It's been a long time since I'm like trying to delay and delay talking about the Astros. It's now, what are we? We're something. We're clo we're closing in on 40 minutes into the show, and this is a, about as bad as it has looked for the Astros recently. They they have lost 10 of their last 14 against the A's, Royals, Orioles, and Mariners. And by the way, we're recording this in the middle of the Astros Mariners finale, so we don't know what happened in the finale between the Astros and M's, but their playoff odds dropped 40 points over these last 14 games, and their division odds went from 81.5% to 6.7%. You were full of confidence in them making the playoffs. Sean Bajani, how you feeling now? Well, I don't know if I was full of confidence. I mean, I feel like I've been saying for the better part of a month, month and a half that, you know, nothing's cinched up. I think if they got in, sure, they could do some damage. And I still think that's uh, that's a thing. Once you're in, anybody can do some damage. It's certainly one that has the pedigree that the Astros do. But getting in has always kind of been a question. Um, before you had taken hold of the AL West after that big series against the Rangers, since then, you've, just, you've been a middling to a poor ball club. You know, I don't even look at the wins losses. I just look at the way that they're playing. They're throwing the ball around all over the place and guys are underperforming uh, at the point in time in which you started to kind of become maybe more confident in guys like Rafael Montero, you know, lays an egg the other night, goes hit, 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 walk, boom. I mean, in the biggest game of the season to date, it, it, it's just been a microcosm of all the all the stuff over the course of the last week. I'm not confident that they're going to get in at this point. There's no There's no way you can be confident. They, they do 
technically control their own destiny going into this final game against the Seattle Mariners. They're a half game up for the third and final wild card spot. And you know what? So if they if they manage a way to get in with a little help from the Rangers, a little help from the Mariners, maybe imploding, maybe they get swept again and the Astros, you know, take two or three from the D-backs who are trying to get in the damn playoffs themselves in the National League. That's a pretty good team, too. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a really good team, I think. Um, you got to give them their respect, especially since you let two bad teams, the Oakland A's and the Kansas City Royals, whoop your ass both over the course of the last couple of weeks. So you can't take anything for granted. The only, the only thing I'm confident in right now, and I'm not saying this jokingly or tongue-in-cheek, but it's that if you're telling me odds for them to – Getting to the postseason went down 40 points. That tells me the odds for them winning a World Series went down significantly as well. You're telling me right now is an incredible time to put some money down on futures bets. If I had some extra change, I would absolutely do that. I'd put that money down on the Astros to win the World Series because if they do get in, anything can happen. Do I expect it to? No, but I do like to win money. And uh, if it's really good odds, and I'm all about it. I never place a bet on this starting pitching staff the way it's been this year. And it's, it's just <laughs> nothing. You keep expecting it to change, but nothing just nothing really changes with the starting pitching staff. It's the same story over and over again. And we're kind of wishing, oh, Christian Javier has one good one in a row. And it's then it's back to what Christian Javier has been for the whole year. So can I tell I mean, you the most concerning thing mm-hmm. to me that, that's happened the last 48 hours? It's that the guy that you waited and waited and waited for all season to be ready, to be active and available to you, hadn't been available to you. He's wasting a roster spot on this team. And your manager, maybe to his fault, maybe not. Maybe Brantley's just not simply been ready to go healthy enough to swing a damn bat. But if you can tell me old 160 hitter Chris Singleton. John Singleton. Whatever. When he gets, I'm going to do like uh, freaking Terry Bradshaw said the other day, when he gets good, I'll learn his name, and I might never have to. If that dude's going to be pinch hitting for Martin Maldonado, who's got every bit times 100 more percent better chance to poke one out of the ballpark because he does it about once every couple of weeks than John Singleton has, who ain't done nothing in two and a half months since he's been up here, that kind of a thing. And you don't pinch hit Michael Brantley or play him in – the game in the season's most important games. Like, I don't know what we're doing. Well, Dusty said Brantley was available. And if Michael Brantley was available to pinch hit, and he somehow said that Singleton had a better chance of getting an extra base hit. Look, Michael Brantley has got a better chance to get an extra base hit. If he was in a wheelchair and an assisted living home and he was (laughs) underwater and he had one arm left because he had lost the other arm, he would still have a better shot than John Singleton in his prime. So I don't know what Dusty is talking about. And I worry about Dusty's senility more and more with each of these postgame quotes where he's given you this information that is just flat out wrong. He says this is a better chance and that's a better chance. And I don't know where he's getting this magic information from, but it's not good. And, you know, Dusty, again, I'm just wondering, you know, what's going on with this guy? And this has kind of been the you know what, we're acting surprised, but this has been Dusty's deal. He's great at managing people, and that helps a ton when you first get there because he gives guys confidence and all of that stuff. But there's also the Dusty Baker that just makes 
head-scratching moves. Sometimes it's pitching, but for, for the Astros, mostly it's been hitting. It's just been lineups and, you know, who he plays and whatever and confidence in guys. And look, I heard that, you know, there was uh, people getting in the DMs of Martin Maldonado's family members and saying stuff. And, you know, look, that, that's just ridiculous. But I also heard that Martin Maldonado was approaching media people and, you know, upset about what they were saying. Look, they're just we're just truth. They're truth telling this. That's journalism. Hey. You you can't be mad at the you can't be mad at the journalists if they're just saying what's going on. If there's somebody to be mad at, no. it's got to be Dusty Baker because he's not putting the right guys in the right situations. I there. hope that's not true, though, with with Maldonado, because there's no reason for you to approach media members about what's being said or written about you. Your ass shouldn't be paying one bit of attention to it. Get your head in the film room. Get your head in the ball game. Don't be paying well, attention. To that I don't stuff. think he's paying attention to it. I think he's probably got family members that are like coming to him with this. Infer- that's what typically happens with these guys. Yeah, well, you know what? Shame on them too. Like the guy's got baseball to worry about. He don't, who's worrying about what's being said on social media. It's become a little bit too much. And, you know, it's understandable because the level of importance that we just put on social media, that form of communication the level of importance that we put on on it, it it's going to come to light. It's going to affect things. I get it, but it shouldn't. I mean, they're typed words on a phone, on a computer screen. It shouldn't affect anything at all, especially in terms of a game and what you're doing or what you're not doing in a game. And maybe that's where we put a little bit too much more, too much emphasis on, on a pedigree. Guys that have been there, done that before. He'd been there and done that before. Presumably, he did it without paying so much attention or hearing so much of the outside noise. Maybe now it's just gotten so damn loud because of the expectations put upon you. Well, it's Uh, simple. It's just he's not hitting like he used to earlier in his career, and he's got a guy behind him that looks like one of the best young catchers in baseball. And I just got to say this because I put up on social media a message to – Martin Maldonado, and I basically wrote this thing, and I said, look, you know, we know it's not you, Maldi, that's, you know, we, we're going to love you forever because you brought us a championship as a starting catcher and a leader on that team, but, you know, this is about Dusty Baker, and then I had people on on there, and it's just typical social media. They get on there and start replying, no, we, we don't like him. We hate him. Well, if you like you don't like him and you hate him, you're not an Astro fan. You know, that's uh, that's plain and simple. If you if you don't like a guy because the manager's putting him out there, and I and I saw some people say, well, you know, I, I'm mad. I'm mad because as a leader, he should sit himself down. Sean, I've been I've been following sports my whole life. I've never seen a, an athlete say, you know what, sit me down, coach. I don't want to play. I don't think there's a a manager or a coach that would respect a guy that says that. And as far as the players are concerned none of them got to where they were because they lacked confidence and you don't want him to feel that way. You want him to feel like every day when he goes out there, he's going to hit four home runs and be the best catcher in baseball. And it's just ridiculousness that people are like, well, Maldi needs to just sit himself down. You know, that's what he needs to do. I'm like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, you're getting a little bit of taste of what it's like to have been, uh, I guess, Yankee Red Sox. Dodger Cardinal fan over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, so. I don't I don't want you people in, in, in Astros fandom. Get out. That's what I say. Get out. If that's the way you you are, get out. We don't 
there, there's no room for jerks in Astros fandom. And I don't want to, I don't want to be the reason why we hate the Red Sox and Yankees because we're not the Red Sox and Yankees. So don't be them, Sean. Don't right. be them. Right. Yeah. Careful what you wish for. Just wanted to make the point you're going up against the, the Diamondbacks team the last, was it three games, right? Yeah. That, that is playing baseball right now. And it's looking like they want to get in the playoffs a hell of a lot more than the team that's been there for the last six straight years that's played in the last six straight ALCSs. Yeah, I just don't buy this. I I don't buy the who wants it more. I just think, honestly, the Astros just, they're not good enough because you know why? Their starting pitching stinks, and it stunk for most of the season. Uh, But, you know, starting pitching doesn't cause uh, your second baseman to airmail a ball into the stands. Uh, Yeah, yeah, but these are are things that, look, look, I, I understand we're going to blame, well, they didn't hit this game and they didn't hit that game. They were still one of the best hitting teams in baseball, period. And look, if like, why is this team not what it was in years past? It's starting pitching. It's plain and simple. Well, yeah, sure. Look, look, look you know that. starting pitching. Let's go through it. Luis Garcia, gone for the season. Jose Arquiti, pretty much gone for the season. He hasn't really been a starting pitcher this year. Lance McCullers, gone for, the, for this. These are your, this is three or your five starting pitchers are gone for the season. Framber Valdez has not been the same in the last few months, which probably it's the workload of a short off season and the WBC and not ramping up. Like I've said before, and Christian Javier has not been the same all season. Christian Javier basically did not show up this year. The Christian Javier that we know they've lost four of their five guys. They've had to rely on two rookies to, to do most stuff. And one of them pitched great. And one of them didn't, but you just can't you look this is about you can talk about well this game it was the hitting and that game it was the hitting and this game it was the that's defense baseball. it's the starting pitching is the dang story that's oh. the story end of sense that's the story of the, this Astros year starting pitching period yeah, yeah i mean i obviously we know that but when you get down to the final week of the season you're going to analyze it on a game in and game out basis you know they they lose that 6-5 ball game you know the other night to the M's and it's you look at the mistakes that cost them in that game. And, yeah, the starting pitching wasn't great either. But um, this offense has been so damn good. This defense has been so damn good over the stretch of these last six years. More times than not, especially when it becomes nut-cutting time, you expect guys to rise to the occasion to make plays. And they're not making plays. They're making plays for the other team. They're shooting themselves in the foot more times than not when you're already behind the eight ball if your starting pitchers, you know, allowed a big inning already within the first three frames. And that's kind of the thing that we haven't seen this ball club not be able to overcome. Even really this season, you know, games in which the Astros have managed to scrape across four-plus runs – they're really freaking good. I don't think they've lost 22, 23 ball games all season when they've scored more than four runs. And so that just kind of speaks to, you know, the, the, the competency, the level of really, really good that this offense is, that this bullpen still can be. So when you get behind eight ball, you can come back and, I remember pointing at a Minnesota Twins game back in 2017. Um, George Springer uh, was at the plate, rain delay. 
and he's down in the count like one, two, 15-minute rain delay. Boom, they come back, and I think the Astros at the time were down by like one or two runs with a guy or two on base. Springer comes back up. It's a double. Long story short, Astros went from pre-rain delay down like eight to six to win that damn thing, like 11 to nine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's that just felt like so insurmountable, and it was just like, hey, we're going to throw all kinds of crap at you. And they found a way to win. And from that point on, whatever it was, why that sticks out in my mind, it's that's that never say die. Like, I'll never give up on this team. And nobody should ever give up on this team. Hell, look what the Pittsburgh Pirates did the other night. Came back from a 9-0 deficit. Like, baseball happens sometimes for better or worse. Um, so you should never give up. But look, we're examining this thing from the big picture. We're magnifying it because we're down to the final three, four ball games of the season to this point in time. And so you talk about every little bitty thing that has cost you when you know that, yeah, sure, the starting pitching has been the thorn in both of your sides and one right in your chest maybe at season's end. But still, you returned 23, 24 of your 26 guys on the roster from last season. Your expectations. Um, shouldn't waver when you know what this team is capable of at the plate and in the pen you could overcome and they just haven't been able to this year it's yeah, baseball no, 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 uh, name a team go find me a team in major league baseball history that basically lost four of their five starting pitchers and and was able to overcome that i mean it's just it's it's practically impossible to do that especially when you don't have really the minor league system and the ability to trade for guys because you don't have the minor league system that the Astros have because they've done it. They've had to do it and make those trades so many times mm -hmm. over the last six or seven years being in the playoffs. I mean, yeah. Um, last thing I wanted to throw out there, um, and this might be a little bit of breaking news, so pay attention to what I'm about to say. I've been very vocal about the regional sports cable carriers and how the NBA and Major League Baseball are hurting their fan base and their long-term product with the regional sports cable carriers. It's it's not working anymore, and it's 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 going to start really being an issue. Well, Sean, the Utah Jazz announced that they're making their games available on over-the-air broadcasts through a local channel, and will also have a subscription service to stream their games. Now, I've heard through a source. The Astros and Rockets, who will no longer be under AT&T Sports starting with the Rockets season coming up here in a couple of weeks, that is not breaking news. But they will at least do the subscription service, meaning you can dump cable, a.k.a. Xfinity, DirecTV, or Fubo, if the Astros and Rockets have kept you handcuffed with them for the last few years, or for the last couple of decades, really. You can dump cable and still be able to watch them? Yeah, they will. From what I understand, what Utah is doing is they're going to put out their own streaming of the games. Okay. And I, I have heard from a source that I trust that the Rockets and the Astros are going to put out something similar to this. All right. So you got to watch them on the Internet is basically what you're saying. You'll be, you, you, you will be you will be able to as a choice. Hmm. Um, but I assume that they're going to still put those oh. games on the, on the, on the regional cable or some sort of regional cable situation. Yeah. Uh, they, they basically have taken over 
if people don't know, it was put out there by Jason Bristol with Channel 11 uh, just within the last week or two that they were going to um, uh, take it over from AT&T Sportsnet because AT&T Sportsnet, Warner Brothers is going out of business for this deal. Yeah. So just like a lot of these uh, c- cable services, a lot of these regional cable services. Yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Because if... Oh, it's great because it gives you a choice to watch the Astros and the Rockets on without without having to purchase cable. A lot of people just feel like, and I'm one of those people, I'm like, I don't want to be handcuffed with these cable services. And just being able to get the Rockets and the Astros as, as an individual thing, basically, you know, we're paying for them in a way through the cable services. Oh, we're you are? We're paying for them. There, yeah, there's a regional sports fee worked into your cable bill. And, you know, with this becoming potentially the Space City Network or whatever the hell they're going to call it, um, they're doing this because they were losing money and not making any money in terms of their partnerships and endorsements. They weren't getting any. And so if you're going to change the name, you're going to change the branding, the marketing, all this stuff, well, what else is going to change, presumably, uh, by a ton, are those sports fees, you know, the what they're going to charge you to be able to watch your Astros and Rockets and all that stuff. And it's going to roll into your cable bills. So my cable bills, you know, going to go up 10, 15 bucks or whatever the case may be. Yeah. That'd make me happy, but maybe it's just me. Like I don't like the idea of having to stream my local teams. Like, well, no, it gives you the option that what I think is going to happen is you're going to have, I mean, look, I, I have Xfinity Comcast. I'm streaming them now. I'm doing it through Xfinity Comcast. You know, you can you can have cable and pay a little bit more for it. But if people don't know this, Xfinity Comcast, you stream it, you pay a few extra dollars less, but you're still streaming, okay, officially streaming. And what's With the this, connection like? What's the quality like? You know, that's what I... It, it's as good, like, I, yeah, it's as good doing it as if you had cable these days. But the, the, this is the deal, Sean. A lot of people don't want to spend the money. They don't want to spend a hundred dollars a month on cable just yeah. because they have to get the, it's the only way they can get the Astros and the Rockets. And then there's people that can't afford to spend a hundred dollars a month. It's not going to be a hundred dollars a month to get the Astros and Rocket streaming service. I don't think it's going to be anywhere close to that. And I think it's going to be also a lot cheaper to get than say, if you want to get NBA and major league baseball league pass, because there's a lot of people that don't live in Houston, but are still Rockets and Astros fans that can now go out and get this as opposed to NBA and MLB League Pass. Now, I don't know what the NBA and MLB think of all this, but I think this is where things are going because the regional cable thing is dying. And, you know, there has to be a way for people to access. And I've always said this, and I've said it on this show over and over again, it is a mistake by Major League Baseball and the NBA that you don't make your product available to the most amount of people that you can make it available to. And and that's been the issue because when I grew up, you could get the Astros and the Rockets over the air, even if you were poor or lower middle class or say your family, like say your parents just said, I don't want to pay for this. Well, Sean, what if your parents aren't sports fans? Well, if they don't pay for it, Guess what? And I've, I, 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 I feel like I'm repeating myself, so I'm sorry for people that are regulars on the show and have heard me say this, but it, my family was not, my parents were not sports fans and they didn't get cable. 
So if it wasn't for the fact that the Astros and the Rockets, half the games were available over the air through Channel 20 and Channel 39 when I grew up, I would have never watched the games. Would I have been a sports Same, fan? Yeah. If, if, that didn't, if I didn't get to see the games? Maybe not. And these days, what kid out there is listening to radio? All right, so Nobody. you're saying that Rockets and Texans are going to be able to be streamed, but they're also going to be available on air? Like, which one of these local stations is going to pick that up between 20, 26, 39, 51? No, no as, far, as far as I've heard, they're not going to do an over-the-air thing. But I, it just streamed. Just streamed. They're, they're, they're going to – you will have the option. To Look, stream. The option, yeah. okay, to stream Astros and Rockets through a subscription basis with mm -hmm. their own channel. If it means I can save money, I probably speak for everybody on this, you can still watch your product and save money. You're doing it. You're all in. So, yeah, I think if that's going to turn out to be the case, it's, it's worth exploring. I mean, with ESPN and TNT and, and TBS, that's an issue because you still might want to see all the games that are available, college football, college basketball, yeah. uh, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, all that stuff. You, you will need cable for that kind but of you thing. You can get that stuff through like uh, Hulu and Fubo and stuff, right? Like. You yeah, yeah you're still paying channel. for it. It's still streaming. Yeah, you're paying services. for it, but you're not paying like cable money for it, you know? Right. Like, yeah, I mean, hell, I think if people could save, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 bucks, whatever it turns out to be, save any money and get everything that you want to watch without having to, you know, get stuck with all the fees in a cable bill um, for 180, 200 bucks, 220 bucks, whatever it is a month, you save any money, you're in. And that's what I've been waiting for. It's just, it's been give or take, you know. Yeah, I could go and get Fubo, but okay, I don't get AT and T Sports, you know. And maybe you do now, but at the time when I was looking at it, you couldn't. And like that, I, that's that's not doable for me. I'm just I refuse to do that. And by me by me making that decision, I'm telling the cable company basically Astros and Rockets coverage, you know, that you guys provide. It's not fantastic. But I just I don't care about all the other crap. I just want to watch the games. It's worth seventy bucks for me a month, and it's not. But you, you want to watch them, so it is. And if you could tell me that it's going to be significantly cheaper and I can get everything that I want, then I'm all in. It needs to happen. I, I, I promise everybody. I think this is going to be a very good thing, and you guys will so. like the fact that this is an option. I don't think the Astros and the Rockets are going to go. Well, we're going to make you pay cable prices a hundred dollars a month to have the Astros Rockets channel. That's not going to be yeah. the price for the Astros Rockets subscription channel. So, but we'll see what happens. And I, I think they can't cut the cord immediately from a, a, a having it on these cable providers because so many people are like hooked into them right now. And I think there would be some backlash. So I assume that they would still keep it on some of these cable providers like DirecTV you know, like Xfinity, Comcast, and like Fubo, because, you know, you want to keep those people engaged. But I think it's it's weaning away from that as a game plan for, uh, and I think that's happening. It's, 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 it's going to happen around the NBA and Major League Baseball in the next few years. I think that's the direction we're going and the direction that we should go, frankly. Yep. Saves me money. I'm all in. Let's get to it. So make sure if you didn't go listen back and watch our our tech our uh, actually our Rockets uh, show that we just did earlier this week. But we'll have the Texans, of course. Next next thing up is the live uh, Texans and Steelers. Look for that 
on Sunday on YouTube as always. Thanks everybody for joining us. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.